Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Welcome to this week's episode of For Future Reference. I'm Tori Taylor. And I'm Ambar Carvillo-Rivera. This podcast is all about creating a space to have real, candid conversations about the role that people play in our lives, especially the ones who lift us up in professional and personal ways, and how they make up the support structure in our lives. It's advice and food for thought that you can use now or just keep around for future reference. So, what are we talking about today, Ambar? Well, Tori Taylor, we've talked about a lot on the lead up and how to find and build authentic mentorship pairings and how to lean into networking and get comfortable with it. But we want to make sure that we don't skip on how important and valuable your current colleagues are to your professional network and how building a reputation for yourself within your current team can actually go a really long way. Totally. I have actually always told my interns, my staff, my mentees, That whenever they're starting a new job or opportunity, do not leave that opportunity without having coffee and building a relationship with every single person in the building. That's awesome. That's really smart. I hope they listen to you. I would say... (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And I would say that for me, like 99% of the people that have mentored me or offered me some kind of professional guidance and support have been either people I've worked really closely with, like a manager, or people that heard about me because of someone that saw my work really up close. And the sad thing is I've actually seen people that treat work like high school, you know, where you build a clique in your own department, because that's probably where you have the most like-minded folks and you feel comfortable, like IT folks stick together and accounting does their thing. But Mm -hmm. I always made an effort to meet and build relationships with people from different departments. I would say... The, the Like when I think about the best way to do this or who did this really well, I think about the show The Office and Pam Beasley, <laughs> who was at the front desk, which to me just seemed like someone that talked to everyone in the office. And she really kind of kept the, the whole team, you know, together. I hate the idea that someone out there hates me. I even hate thinking that Al-Qaeda hates me. I think if they got to know me, they wouldn't hate me. And I think about this because I really recommend that people do the same because in terms of like talking to people that you wouldn't normally talk to or in other departments, because it not only expands your network and your own worldview, but I will say it was one of the most helpful things to me as I advanced in organizations because I then had a better sense of the culture across teams and I knew a little bit about almost every role or team uh, function across the organization. Totally. And I have definitely been guilty of being part of cliques at work. I try I try not to be, but I think we've all been there. But what I've actually learned over the years is that you can actually do your own job better if you understand not only how your specific part of this big train functions, 
But if you can understand how all the different pieces of the train operate and how they work together in order to make the train run and stay on time. I actually remember being in a leadership role at an organization a few years ago that was restructuring and hiring a lot of people and Nobody knew each other, what each other did, let alone how they were supposed to work together. And Mm. silos and cliques were forming super quickly. Mm. And a colleague and I got together, and in an attempt to break some of these silos down, we developed a very sophisticated tactic (laughs) where we would simply (laughs) make a lap around the building every day to just check in with other departments. Mm. It was an open workspace, so we would just walk by, say hello, have an informal chat about what folks were doing, working on, or simply what they were doing that weekend for fun. And it was a great way to build relationships and use that rapport that we were developing with these other teams to turn around and support the broader team and organization to align goals and produce a better, more cohesive work product. And I've been out of that job for a few years now, but a lot of those cross-departmental relationships that I built and made, and I think some of that culture that we helped lay the groundwork for, are still going strong in and out, in and outside of that environment. And not to mention, you got in all those steps. <laughs> oh, doing, yeah. <laughs> while you were doing your laps. Yeah, I think that that's really smart. It's a little thing that goes a long way. Um, And, you know, also, if you're not doing it to build some sort of organizational culture or because you're thinking of, you know, potentially going up in in that company and you need to have a little bit of a sense of different teams, I would also say that spending a little bit of time getting to know other people across teams is really helpful if you're starting to maybe get the itch to change roles because Mm, that is mm -hmm. the best way that you're going to be able to figure out truly what someone else in a different role does outside of just a PD, the position description that's going to go up online. And you're going to know what skills they need to be successful in that role. And you don't even have to leave the organization that you're in. You're like in the same building. It works for your day-to-day time constraints. So I mean, listen, ask people for some coffee, ask them a little bit about what they do, what it really takes to be successful in that role, what background they needed or don't need, like now that they're in that role, um, and maybe even ask to be on some of their projects. Um, I'm telling you, that's like a life changer. It was a life changer for me. Oh, that's such a, that's such a good way of looking at it. And this example and some of these thoughts really stuck with me when we interviewed our guest for today, Ana Marie Chavez, about her journey. She has had such a storied, multifaceted career and so much experience building networks, support structures, in and out of the workplace. And she is so intentional about how she thinks about people. And as a leader, as a mentor, as a manager, as a colleague, she just has so many different avenues of looking at this work and and these relationships. And I really loved our conversation with her. And just to give folks a little bit more background on Ana Maria Chavez, her experience is growing up in rural Arizona, really lit a passion for her public service and social engagement that have defined Anna's educational and career paths. She's had a long and admirable career, like you mentioned, including being the first woman of color to lead the iconic Girl Scouts of the United States in their 104-year history. Now she's the Executive Vice President and Chief Growth Officer for the National Council on Aging, and we had the pleasure of hearing more about why and how she supports women in and out of the workplace. 
I actually want to share with folks, one of the first times that I met you, um, we were coming out, uh, it was the second time we had interacted, but we were coming uh, out of a panel. And uh, we didn't, you know, I don't think you really knew me, but uh, you, one of the first things you said to me was, um, I want you to be successful, and so just tell me what we can do to support you. And mm. I have to say it's like really, really stuck with me, and I think it's a beautiful thing and, and says a lot about you. And so um, that goes to our first question, because uh, you once said that the number one cardinal rule for you is to always support other women. And so how did that become instilled in you, and how do you try to live up to that? I was brought up um, in a family that is always focused on service, right? Mm -hmm. You always give back to community. And I was very fortunate to be raised by a really uh, amazing grandmother and mother who taught me that we as women have to support each other because we tend to be the heart of the family, right? Mm -hmm. We're the ones that extend not only our culture but our faith um, and that we have to basically serve people in very different ways. And as, as women, because unfortunately issues impact us differently, mm -hmm. whether it's the wage gap, whether it's barriers that we see or don't see, um, that we have to help each other get over the wall, get over the barriers. Mm -hmm. um, and because I was raised to be a civil servant, a public servant, and then ultimately a civil rights attorney, I cannot go out into the community and say I'm fighting for the rights of women if I'm not carrying mm -hmm. that out every day in my personal life and in my work life. Um, and I also, you know, I, I truly believe what you give out into the universe comes back. And I am more focused on helping people succeed than pointing out where people are failing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what, what drives me every day. The workplace is so often the most natural place for us to network and build relationships and build um, relationships with mentors. And so as someone who has led a lot of large organizations and causes over the years, you know, what are some of the ways that women or others that you have worked with in the workplace stood out in terms of how they built those relationships or how they paid it forward and mentored and networked? I'd love to hear a little bit of your experience there. Yeah, you know, so I, I recently turned 50. I'm very proud of that. Um, and I look back in my career, I, I do something every year as part of sort of my celebration of the new year. I always reach out to people who've impacted me over that year. And specifically, I always go back into my life and thank people who've made a difference. So I'm mm. still in touch with my first boss in DC. Wow. Um, I'm still in touch with my high school teachers who wrote you know, letters of recommendation so I could get into Yale. Um, and so I go back and, and in reflecting in sort of gratitude what they did for me, I think of what lessons they taught me, mm -hmm. right? And the biggest lesson that a lot of them taught me is you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. And for many of my mentors growing up, it was literally pulling me aside and saying, listen, Anna, clearly I, 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 I see your energy. I see your excitement. I know you want to go 10,000 miles an hour down the road. But let me just tell you from my perspective and experience, maybe you need to pause here, think through next steps, and then charge forward. Mm -hmm. And it was literally mentors who pulled me aside and said, Anna, pace yourself or... Uh, perhaps think about the situation a little differently. Um, maybe don't take it as personally. 
um, and, and depersonalize issues. And so for me, it's always looking back to see what kind of wisdom not only they gave me, but mm. also when they put the pause button on things. Mm. I had this great mentor. I've had several. I've been very fortunate, both men and women. And I had one of my first bosses here in D.C. back in the 90s. You know, I thought I was so ready. You know, I graduated from Yale and law school. You know, I'm going to conquer the world. And my first literal job, he, I thought I was going to be a litigator, do all this thing. And he literally stuck me. I think it was a broom closet. I honestly <laughs> think they took out, you know, the cleaning <laughs> supplies, put in a desk and a chair. And he literally sat me in this room for like three months writing legal memos. I thought I was going to go crazy. And it was literally, he said on it, in order to be a great lawyer, you've got to learn the law, which means you've got to research, you've got to write. And that taught me so much, right? Sometimes your mentors t teach you patience, mm -hmm. teach you that there are steps along the way. Yeah, some of us are lucky and we get jump-started because we're pulled out at a time to, to take a spot and be the first of. But many times our mentors are just saying, you know, sometimes you've got you've to take the steps forward to learn before you really jump into something very heavy. And as far as women, I think I've learned that there are different generations of women. You mm -hmm. know, we, I, think, I just had a conversation with an amazing woman who is, is starting a, an opportunity to join together organizations across the country to think about well-being in communities in a very different way, empowering local communities, local nonprofits, so that they can take control of issues around well-being in their communities. And as we were talking about it, she's like, "On, I wanted to talk to you because you're another Latina. You have a very similar background. What made your path different? But the reality was we had this very similar path. Her mm -hmm. mother, single mother, came to the United States. New education was the number one thing. Her mother invested in her education, ensured mm -hmm. she had everything. And so a very similar path. And so for I think for Latinas in, in particular, we're much more similar than we think we're different. And I think that's really across different ethnicities, but we also have to reflect that my mother's generation dealt with barriers and different situations than I'm doing now, and that my son, right, will have different opportunities because of what I took on in my generation. I'm sure there's a bunch of people that come to seek your advice and to maybe ask you to be their mentor. And um, although you, you do it for a lot of folks, how do you decide you know, who to, to extend that to, or, or what are ways, rather, that people have done it that have caught your eye as a leader in, in such a senior role? The way I would describe it now is that I almost curate situations where other people can mentor other people. I think that there's a fallacy around, you know, you look at individuals that may be in their um, second decade or third de decade of their career, and, and they have it, they have all the answers. But the reality is, as you go farther up the food chain in organizations, the job gets harder and it's more isolating. If you're a CEO of an organization or you're leading a big part of an organization, you are the leader for that group and people look up to you for strength, for mm -hmm. inspiration, for knowledge. And sometimes you don't have a circle of people who are going through the same thing, right? And so what I've started to do, especially because I travel so much, if I go into a, a, a particular city, I look up individuals who I know are taking on huge roles, specifically women. Mm -hmm. um, so whether it's one of the first women to run a Smithsonian here in Washington, whether it is the first Latina to run the YWCA, mm. um, I curate dinners 
and opportunities where they literally can sit around the table and it's the first time they've met each other, but literally within an hour, they're crying, they're hugging each mm. other. They're, they're also sharing, wow, I had no idea you were going through the same situation. Maybe a different sector, maybe a different expertise, but we're all experiencing the same issues that anybody in a leadership role deals with, except for some of us, you know, we're having to figure out, okay, how do I travel? How do I ensure my son gets his homework in, even though he's three states away in a different time zone? Mm-hmm. Um, and so from a mother's perspective, we're, cha- we're changing the lens and, and stories about how we lead as women. Um, and I also, you know, because I have sort of spanned different generations of boys and girls, women and men, you know, people say, well, how did you go from Girl Scouts to aging? Well, the reality is I actually started in aging. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Almost 20 years ago, I ran uh, all the state services for the aging population in Arizona, including Adult Protective Service. And um, what I found through my work in aging, um, you know, helping to fund domestic violence shelters, congregate meal sites, is that there's a similar theme of people in need, vulnerable populations, the investment in and safety networks, but I saw again time after time it impact the disparity of, of wealth, mm-hmm. education when it comes to women and women's achievement. Right. And so my theme as a civil rights attorney is how do you get women prepared, whether they are starting school, you know, as a five-year-old girl um, and she's still enthusiastic about science and math when she gets to fourth grade, or is it as women go through their career, how do we mentor them, prop them up, you know, get them excited so that they want to go farther into Mm -hmm. their career, take that tough new job, you know, transfer to a different part of the country. And I see that that is my role, really, as a Mm -hmm. public servant now, is spreading the word that you're not alone. I'm not the only one that's gone through this. I just happen to be in a position now to be able to share my stories. And most importantly, spotlight other women who are doing amazing things. I love the idea of the curated dinner, like to be a fly on the on the I wall know. in a room like that. What advice would you have for women who are starting out in their career? Maybe they're in their first or second or third job, and they want to curate their own experiences that allow them to build relationships or build mentors at in the workplace. Are there tactics or things that you did when you were starting your career to help facilitate that or things that you've seen other young women do that maybe you work with now or in in previous roles that have done it in interesting ways? Yeah, I've had the opportunity to build a lot of teams. My my life motto actually is to build great teams to do great things. Mm, I love that. And... And it's almost, again, how do you build sometimes from scratch, sometimes you walk into an organization where you have, you know, individuals in in particular positions, but you kind of see really they're not in their sweet spot. Mm -hmm. They're not, you're not really leveraging their talent in the right way, or you're taking over an organization that's having to pivot. It's having to scale three times. It's having to think differently about their mission. And so you start looking at the people around the table, and I never go from, you know, give me your resume, what have you done for the last 10 years? I look to see, one, what their energy level is from the, from, you know, taking on new opportunities means they have to be resilient. Mm-hmm. Change is hard, and if, if people realize you're moving into a change mode in an organization, then you're probably going to attract people who are excited about change, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you bring people along in that change? I also think it's a great opportunity to look, again, because I'm in the aging sector, right? I believe that people at all ages have opportunities to give back to a community or to an organization. So 
I constantly look at how can we put teams together with different personalities, perspectives, experiences. And people who jump out to me in the landscape in any job I've ever taken is humility. I have worked for some amazing individuals, um, Janet Napolitano in particular. I te teased her all the time. It was really hard to work for her because she <laughs> was so that. smart. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. you had to work twice as hard to prepare her. I remember this, I'm a short story, but you know, I had a big portfolio and I worked because I worked for her for six years. So as people would leave the governor's office, I'd walk and say, hey, Gov, can I take Veterans Affairs or I'd do whatever. And I remember this book came out on the, the demographic shift of the Latino community across the country. I bought it on a Friday night. I spent all weekend reading it, highlighting it. I mean, I was so excited. I walk in Monday morning to our senior staff meeting. I say, Gov, I got something for you. She's like, oh, I got something for you. She goes into her office and pulls out the same book. <laughs> and I look at it, I'm like, Gov, stop staffing me. <laughs> but what I learned from her is that it doesn't matter, right? If you're a governor or if you become a Homeland Security Secretary, you constantly are learning, teaching, learning from other people around you. Um, and that's what I love, working with people who are constantly saying, you know, I don't know that, but I want to learn. Mm. Um, and you have the humility to say, teach me, show me. And so I, I would rather hire somebody for attitude than experience. You can teach experience. You can mm -hmm. teach a skill, but you can't teach the energy of going after a goal. Um, and I always believe too, and this is, I've just been taught this by my parents, that everybody has a different skill and spirit, right? And, and your job as a leader is to tap that spirit. And too many people focus on what's wrong with you, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what I've learned, especially working with girls, you've gotta be really careful the message you send to women and, and girls, because they ingest those feedback points to a point where they literally start changing their personality and the way they interact in society. And for women of color, you've got to be really careful because, again, we've been taught in order to assimilate, in order to succeed in legacy organizations, we have to sort of assimilate into the culture that's already there. But the reality is that's not going to be the future state of organizations. It's not going to be the future of this country. So we've got to teach women and people of color, that it's okay to be authentic the way they want to be authentic. Hmm. For people that maybe are feeling feeling an itch to 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 grow out of their role, like they're they're ready for something bigger than the 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 realm of responsibilities they have, but they're not necessarily ready to leave the company. Let's say they love their leaders, sure. uh, yeah. they love the company, the mission. Um, what advice would you give to them, maybe from your own experiences or advice you've given to other women on uh, getting some of those additional skills or perspectives while staying in the role that you're at and not necessarily like having to network externally or applying to a different job? So I've done a lot of hiring over the past 25 years. I've worked with big search firms. I've worked with boutique firms. I've done you know, online hiring. And I will tell you a few things how I approach it. First of all, um, I get a lot of calls, a lot of inquiries, um, advices to network, how to get new jobs, how to get into mm. different careers. And one of the pieces of advice I have for people, especially if you're going to reach out to somebody you don't know for advice, is do your homework. Make sure when you approach somebody and say, I'm trying to get advice to do X, Y, Z because I want to you know, do something different in my job. 
um, make sure you've done the research. Don't come in asking very basic questions. There's so much information online now that you can probably figure out um, a lot of information and go into that coffee networking opportunity with very specific questions that only that person can answer mm -hmm. with their expertise. Mm -hmm. So that's one. Two, I think people underestimate the networking opportunities within their organization. Mm -hmm. And one of the, people always ask me, so Anna, I don't get it. Like, <laughs> how did you go into these roles? You didn't have a background in them. Or what made you think of moving to San Antonio, Texas to run a local Girl Scout council? Like, why would you do that? Well, I had done the research. I knew that I would have an opportunity to learn new things in that environment. And so I took chances. I didn't feel, you know, sometimes we look at job uh, placements, even within our own organization, and it says, okay, you have to have these 10 requirements. Well, women are notorious. If they don't fill every yeah. single requirement, they will not apply for that job. But I've seen where male candidates maybe take two of those requirements and they're like, we're ready. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm always talking specifically to women to say, you know, sometimes you just gotta go for it and just say, listen, give me an opportunity, give me six months, give me 12 months, I can do this. And so you've got to look within your organization. First of all, most of the time, organizations are trying to leverage talent. Mm -hmm. But if you don't step up and say to your manager, listen, I'd like to take an opportunity to volunteer to do this project, or you know, I really have an interest in data analytics, I don't have a background in it, but I'm willing to learn, will you pay for a course to get me trained up to mm. do something like that? So I'd start with them, and then I would, Share with people what you're really passionate about. I remember at the Girl Scouts, uh, we went through a strategy process and we had to really reinvest in our organization. And we did a skill assessment and I found out that our receptionist had a master's in HR, human resources. And so she volunteered and helped drove a new culture process for our organization. I would never have known that if she hadn't raised her hand and said, I want to sub submit my name to do this new work. Mm -hmm. So. I say people just be curious, ask questions, um, be really good about using people's time appropriately. Mm -hmm. There's a great book written by a friend of mine I highly recommend about networking for your career, specifically for women. It's called Build Your Dream Network. It's written by Kelly Hoey. It's great mm. and talks specifically about when you're thinking about changing careers or moving jobs, how to build a network specifically from a woman's lens. Oh, I highly I recommend it. it. That's awesome. That's awesome. We love to ask this of all the folks that come on our show because we really think it shows that no matter where you are in your career, there's always something that you're, you need to tackle with a mentor. And so if you were going to have a drink or lunch or coffee with one of your mentors next week, what's something that you would be bringing to that conversation to talk about? That question would change with every decade of my life. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a different question, and it's a different question with each mentor. My biggest advice to people is ask for advice from people who care about you enough to tell you the truth. You know, it's really easy. My grandmother taught me that there are basically 10 seats in the front row of your life. And you've got to fill it with people who believe in you, believe in your future, but will also love you enough to tell you when you got to pivot. Mm. When you, maybe you could have done something a little better, but at the end of that, you're your cheerleader and they know you the best. And so at this point in my career, my mentors, um, I ask them to push me. I believe um, with my career, I have a responsibility. 
right? People have invested in me to get me to this point. And so what is my obligation to society mm -hmm. to give back? Mm -hmm. And people who work with me on a daily basis probably know me well enough to say, okay, Anna, there's this gap in society or there's this issue that needs to be tackled. And so my question to a mentor would be, how do I best position myself to take on that challenge? So that's what I ask my mentors. But when, when people call me or they ask for advice, you know, I'll give you a good example. I got an email from a young woman who I met back in 2012. She was a Girl Scout in a Girl Scout troop that I met in Savannah, Georgia at the 100th anniversary of Girl Scouts. Wow. And she reached out. She's now graduating from college. I can't believe it. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And they she, get older, but you don't. I do. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I mean, they grow up and... Weird. And she asked me for, for advice on how to get into a marketing career and how to take on that new challenge. And what I learned from that question and interacting with her is this, that as leaders, it's more about how we make people feel mm. than what we teach them. Mm. Because apparently in that simple interaction I had with that young lady, what, seven years? What, what is it? It's 2019, so it's seven years mm -hmm. ago. I had a maybe a five-minute interaction with this young lady that propelled her in a certain way that she is still thinking about that interaction. And so I put that out to mentors. That be, you know, you've got to be sensitive what energy you put out there and what you say to people. Mm. Your job should be building them up, giving them feedback that resonates uh, and that builds them up in a way that's going to be productive for themselves and society. And so uh, I'm very blessed to, to be able to be in this world and to be surrounded by very talented people and that they put up with my laugh on a daily basis. <laughs> Tori, I think we're both better humans now <laughs> that we got to hear some of Anna's wisdom and just vibrant approach and smart approach to life. What are you taking with you? Well, first of all, where do we even start? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Anna is absolutely brilliant. I loved everything about the conversation today. I specifically appreciated what she laid out when it came to how mentors can help you leap ahead or actually slow you down in the right way. Mm. We are in a culture that glamorizes hustle and pushing forward at breakneck speeds, but that's not always the right approach. You don't wanna move so fast that you skip steps that are actually pretty critical to our growth. Mm. Can we do step six well if we skip step one, two, and three? Mm. <laughs> Growth isn't about setting the fastest pace, it's about setting the right one. Oh, that's so good. I think for me, something that just really sticks with me and I just, I hope that I also get to live up to uh, is her number one cardinal rule that she talked about at the beginning on always supporting other women. I mean, I think that's something that I've thought about along my own journey, but to be so explicit about that as a rule of engagement is so beautiful and I think really changes how you perceive other people at work, other uh, women that you work with, that you don't work with, that no matter what you see it as, we're all in the same, we're all, we're all in the same team and we're going to support each other and that can look a lot of different ways. 
So next week on For Future Reference, we're going to chat about the uncomfortable and maybe even sad truth about outgrowing a mentor. Ooh, I can't wait for that one. That sounds deep and heavy and needed Mm -hmm. for some of us. Uh, So thank you so much for everyone listening today. And make sure you subscribe so you get the little updates every time we drop a new episode. And while you're at your computer, your phone, your email, wherever you're listening, feel free to open up your Gmail or your mail app and drop us a line at pod at wondermedianetwork.com. We love to hear from y'all how you like the show, what you want to hear next, uh, and just any feedback that you have for us. We hope that this helps for now or for future reference. Talk Talk to to you next week. week. Bye. For Future Reference is a Wonder Media Network original show. I want to tell you about another podcast I'm loving called The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics. From Wonder Media Network, this podcast is all about amplifying the voices of women who are too often forgotten in most media coverage. It's the one-stop shop for women of color who want to hear and talk about the world of politics. I think back to when I was studying political science in college, and I know this would have been super helpful to me then. In season one, host Ashanti Golar spoke with women like Stacey Abrams, who are changing the face of politics. And now, Ashanti's back for season two, bringing women of color to the front lines of politics. This season is all about service, overcoming barriers, and understanding how to make positive changes to our everyday life by taking a stand. Catch season two of The Brown Girl's Guide to Politics wherever you get your podcasts.